Hello again. This is Keith Perhack from Segmetrics and Data Beats Opinion. I am here again with Say Gabriel. Say, it's so great to have you here. Okay, well, I'm super happy to be here anyway. I am stoked to talk about processes and SOPs, all that kind of stuff. Who am I? Uh, Say Gabriel, leader of the company Anansi Content. We uh, basically help agency owners take conversion copy fully off their plate. Uh, and really our focus is using the power of marketing and strong systems to build strong communities. So my own background, I come from writing, communications, systems, all that kinds of stuff. But over the years, I've come to realize that a lot of people can write, a lot of people can produce, a lot of people can create, but few people can organize all of that cohesively in a way that makes things simple, fun even. I would go so far as to say that processes <laughs> and systems can be very fun, not just if you're a super nerd like me. Uh, so started out just you know me on my own. Now I run a team of nine basically superhumans, uh, marketing consultants, copywriters, uh, we basically, as I said, use the power of communication and marketing to build strong communities, usually on a white label basis for other agencies. Interesting. A little bit of a mouthful. Hopefully that. <laughs> no wonder I flubbed it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to put that all off to the side. Not my fault. Not my fault. No. Um, but the, <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, you, you focus, you say you focus a lot on copywriters, people who create content for a living even with that communication inward to outward, right? So sales copy or marketing copy or anything like that, that is such a different process than creating communication within your um, organization and with people to get people on the same page. And it's, yeah. it's really funny because <laughs> you would think copywriting, especially sales copywriting is all about communicating. It's all about getting the customer on the same page, but it's so different when it's not a product, when it's not a singular goal, when you have 800 different goals that you need to get everyone on the same page and you can't spend a month writing each document to get someone on the page on the same yeah. page yeah yeah it, it's i love the fact that you actually juxtapose those two things because what i found is that at least the people on our team and stuff um if it, given the training to either create that structure or given the structure to follow they take to it very very well now of course the people that we work with are not just copywriters they're content strategists as well mm -hmm. so they have that kind of higher level strategic mindset um, but really communication is so key, but it varies so wildly. And part of effective copywriting, just like parts of communication, even all types of system building is understanding what the goal, what the context, what the people are involved. And there's different approaches for each kind of context. So, you know, if you're writing copy, if you're writing a landing page, yeah, there can be a certain process or structure to that. But if you contrast that to, you know, how you're delegating to your team internally, uh, that's going to have a totally different kind of process and approach right. and need different resources and et cetera to make it successful. And, and then I think on, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say on top of that, because we work on a subcontracting white label basis, most of the time, we actually work with like dozens of other digital agencies all the time. And so we also get to see what's going on behind the scenes for them and the means in which, you know, industry to industry and situation to situation, they communicate with their team. And, uh, you know, that's really just created an opportunity for us to grab the best of both worlds and share that information back out again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's, 
It's interesting because I think there's a lot of the the blinders issue, right? Because when it's in your own product, your own company, you have a lot of, of blinders like, oh, how am I going to do this? Where if you were to do this for a client, it, it's very obvious. It's like two seconds, you're in there. You're like, this is exactly what we're going to do. There's no hesitation. You just go for it, right? There's a very clear goal in mind. But when it's your own thing, and especially with internal processes, I think it's just much harder to what is that one thing? Because everyone has a different view of it. Everyone, even yourself, looking at something in different ways, you're going to have different views on how you can approach it. Um, there's this great comic I saw that it said that the best way to get me to just paralyze me is to give me two decisions with no obvious benefits and no obviously detriments either way. And it's oh, like, are you in my mind? Like, which that's which like of these two? I know. Every day. <laughs> would you like the Fuji apple or would you like the Granny Smith apple? And I know nothing about apples because I'm allergic, but, <laughs> but, but it's like, I don't know. Like I'll, I'll waste a month on that. And so yeah. internal processes for me, I know are really hard because of that, because like there's 800 ways to skin that cat. And where do we even start? Where do we even start? Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm. There's two different answers to this question that come up in my mind right away. Now I get that this can be a really overwhelming world, uh, especially when you haven't gotten a lot of things documented already, or maybe just you just have critical things documented. Uh, and then there's also the consideration of uh, who is doing the task and how. You know, on my team we have tasks that. Uh, different people might be doing depending on the context and you kind of have to figure out what's going to uh, how you can make sure that that is uh, being covered as well. So anyway, let me back up and make this simpler. So the first thing to remember is that done is the new perfect. Like the very, very first thing, the absolute <laughs> thing, the umbrella over everything is done as the new perfect. Because if you're like me and, oh, well, you like details and maybe perfection a little bit, uh, then you can really, really get paralyzed in what is the absolute best way to do this thing. You know, you can think that when you're going in to write an SOP or something, you need to know everything perfectly because someone else is maybe going to follow it or you're going to follow it. And if it doesn't work, then why bother? So let's just calm that down right away say done is the new perfect. I will even go so far as to say, let's take done is the new perfect one step further and say fail fast. So it's better for you to just put something down, use it and troubleshoot it from there, basically adapt it or improve it than to wait on having the perfect thing. Failure is not the end of the journey. It's never the end yeah. of the journey. In fact, it's usually the first step on the path to success. So that's maybe not a like step-by-step, step, but that's just the thing, everything we talk about today, and I would go so far as to say that whatever system you're building, whatever you're doing in your business, done is the new perfect. If you tend towards perfection is a really, really valuable place to start uh, because a, otherwise you'll never get anything done. <laughs> that's a, that a great way to review it because I, I fall into that a lot. I would rather rebuild something for the 800th time then create something new and get it out the door just because yes. I have that perfectionist about me. And it's interesting because I've seen something similar with our SOPs where I think I've got it just dialed in. It's perfect. And then someone else reads and it's like, I have no idea what you're saying, Keith. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> well, there went all that. And so you're exactly right that fail fast, get it out there, get other people in on it, do it 20, 30 times and see, okay, is it working? And I, I'm sure you were you were going to to go into this afterwards, but revisit, 
yeah. revisit it because if you just leave it and leave it broken, it's never going to get better. But revisit, yeah. is it working? Is it not working? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean by done as well. Like for a process of some kind, we're talking SOPs right now, but once I get into the practical steps, I, I actually want to kind of challenge people's perceptions around SOPs a little bit. Uh, when I say done, I mean in practice. I don't mm. mean written. I mean, actually, like people are using it. Uh, and of course, when we're looking at processes, uh, as a leader of your agency or your business or whatever it is, quite often the way and the reason that we're documenting processes is we are documenting processes to delegate them and kind of get, get them off our plate. Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes you also have other people delegating processes that maybe you haven't touched so that uh, if you're hiring or something, someone else can come in and do that. Or maybe you're just moving things around in terms of what plate people are on or whose plate things are on. Uh, <laughs> and all of this is uh, all of this is really important, but I actually want to back us up a moment or two because putting it in practice is really, really critical. But I think that it's important to kind of explain my theory of processes a little bit. Is mm -hmm. it okay if I take a moment? Yeah, yeah, that? definitely. Let's do it. Okay. So if done as the new perfect is where we start from a mindset point of view, this is where we start from kind of a uh, practical data point of view. So when we're looking about processes, looking at processes, I actually define them in kind of two different buckets, how we can approach processes. One is top down and one is bottom up. And most people think of bottom up, which is the SOP method, which mm -hmm. is a step-by-step -step set of instructions on how to accomplish a certain task, maybe that has a checklist at the end that you go through and can tell you, okay, this person did this uh, the right way or hit all the things that we need. Right. And that's really important. And yes, you're going to need those things. And yes, if you wanted to, you could start creating those and putting them into practice today. But I think people often forget the top-down version of processes, which is much, much simpler, which is starting with your service framework. And I think that, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more in a moment, I think that there's no uh, best way to do it in the sense that you need both top-down and bottom-up in, in order to be able to set up these strong systems that will support your organization, especially if you walk away, right? Like that, that for me is always the gauge. Can you just walk away for a full month, ideally, and have things flow the way you want them to? But that's not where we start, right? That's where we're working. Right. That's where we get to. If you think about that, it's just going to be super overwhelming. You're going to be like, wow, I am, it's never going to happen. I need 10,000 different things. And that's why the top down look can really be helpful in simplifying things. Because top down is let's look at the big buckets of what we do. And the top-down format is really just making sure that you understand the five steps or less that go into anything that you are doing. So the most basic, basic version of this, right? If you are, say, a marketer or web design agency or something like that, let's just take web design because that's super, super, super specific. Uh, often, if you are putting together a website, your high-level process, right? So your service framework looks something like discovery, uh, maybe content design, development, launch, uh, mm. and uh, whatever comes after launch for you. But that was just super simple. That was like four or five steps. A lot of companies, surprisingly enough, don't even necessarily have this defined in order one by one. 
right? And if you're starting to work on your SOPs and stuff, and you don't even know what every project that comes in your door looks like from a five-step or less, basically, process, then you're already going to be overwhelming and confusing yourself because every time you go into a project, you're going to be doing it a different way, right? Um, this also comes into sales and marketing, right? If you can tell people, well, we, like we at Anansi, we follow a three-step service framework or a simple three-step process. We do a messaging anchors process, which is where we identify your positioning, your audience, your voice and tone, et cetera. We build foundation copy, which is the unique and memorable place that people can find you and understand what you do online and take action. And then we do growth strategy, which is looking at goals and then on a cyclical, in a cyclical way, um, making action items, working towards those goals, looking at the metrics, comparing our actions to the metrics and continuing over. So if you start from this high level, it sounds almost overly simple, right? Hopefully most of your listeners can point to this, right? Just take five minutes. Right. You, it, it should come to you right away. But then within those buckets, you can complexify as you need to. So then, okay, let's say we take, well, the content process. Well, the process I just described, those might be the three steps within the content process. And when you're bringing somebody on board, or you're training somebody new, or you're delegating, being able to very, very simply explain what these very simple high-level processes are creates so much clarity, like so much clarity. And if you start there and make sure that you have those things outlined and then use the SOPs more for specific small things and you start with that top level, that can just reduce so much overwhelm. I think you just blew my mind. Just, <laughs> I mean, honestly, because this is how I, it, it's funny because this is how I think about design. This is how I think about development. Mm -hmm. This is how I think about everything in my business, except for the SOPs, right? <laughs> it's the only, right? We, we build out in the company, we build out task engines. So we have things mm -hmm. like our integration marketing strategy and we have thing one, thing two, thing three. These are the steps we go through. And then each of those steps has a number of sub process. We have that for the doing, for the tracking of tasks that we do. But at no point do we have them for the SOP of like, hey, this is how we do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because we, we always start at that bottom up because I don't know if that it's because it's been ingrained in me that an SOP is a very specific like checklist that you do, right? Like I read the check, I love the checklist manifesto, but for some reason it just got into me that that's, that bottom up's the only way to do it. And um, I think you that's, just that's a pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> 100% flipped it in my mind as like, okay, no, no, we need to structure this just like I would structure a development project or even a website project. I need the site map, right? I need yeah. Yeah. the things we do. And then each thing that we do has their, their own little sub items. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, like if we look at yeah, absolutely. And if we look at, let's say, let's take Anansi, my company, let's look at kind of our systems and our processes. So within our project management system teamwork, we have those very specific, you know, checklists and things. If you want, uh, if you're completing a, you know, specific thing on a project, you're installing Google Analytics on a website or something like that. That's going to have those very, very specific checks. But we govern the high-level frameworks uh, in things that we call playbooks, more so. Uh, and we really like if you're starting super, super easy bucketing system, right? So every business basically has sales and marketing, admin, operations, <laughs> 
Uh, and really like those are, uh, you know, let's say admin and finance and operations and projects. Like let's say those three big buckets. Now, as your company starts to complexify, as you have more people on your team, maybe sales and marketing become two different buckets. Uh, you know, maybe admin and finance become two different buckets. But understanding, like you're talking about kind of the site map, uh, like understanding what those buckets are at a high level as well is really, really good for organizing your SOPs. And then we use these documents called playbooks to govern really uh, the, the less technical but still very, very important elements of what we do. So for example, we have our agreements of content strategy, or we have our 10 commandments of sales. And those are things that they're not a checklist, like, okay, every time you do this, you go through and check it through. But they are things that are really, really, really critical for anyone who's coming into the role to understand that, yeah, these 10 things will apply to literally everything you do. Like booking a call at the end of this, this very specific example, but one of our kind of agreements or commandments um, in uh, for our account manager is that you always book a call at the end of the last call if you want to follow up with that person. Now that's a specific, that's a really weird specific thing, but understanding our framework of what are the things that happen every single time we do sales, uh, every single time we do account management is just so, so, so important to inform the context of those particular SOPs. Does that and make sense? It does, and it's interesting because that's not something that you would, could put on a checklist. You couldn't have that on a checklist <laughs> of like, oh, I'm meeting with Bob, checklist, um, schedule next call, because you get off the call and you're like, oh, crap, <laughs> right? So you need to have, I like how you phrase this, the Ten Commandments, but the, those rules, this is how we think about things. These are the things that are must, that every time we go into a situation, we want to keep these things in mind. Yeah, yeah. And that's, so that's, that's. Uh, maybe slightly different from the top, the initial top-down service framework mm -hmm. I was telling you, but it's the same idea of top-down, right? Like what things are really universal that we do over and over and over again and simple. I think that's what makes top-down so powerful is that it's simple. You don't need a giant checklist because if it's five items or less, you know, the example I gave, you know, uh, I said 10 commandments. I think we have eight, <laughs> um, you know, it's <laughs> you not- You dropped one of the tablets. Thing. <laughs> yeah, but oops. Oh. <laughs> but knowing like that there's information you can keep in your head. Like I'm guessing from your love of data in our previous conversations that you have a brain that tends towards hierarchy in some degree or another in the sense that you break oh, yeah. things down into facets. Um, I'm the same way. And it's easy to think that this is uh, like something that everybody has, but it's, it's not. And that's where the, kind of the top-down model comes from is understanding the power of if you can make a short list and uh, nest it, basically you can hold that information in your head. And one of the most powerful things about this is that other people can hold it in their head too. And not just people on the, your team, but clients, mm. other people, contractors, right? Like uh, explaining a three-step process. And then I can say, okay, within messaging anchors, we have two key meetings and this is how you prep for one. And this is how you prep for the other. You know, that's much more understandable to someone than if I were to say, okay, well, in our process, we start with this meeting. Here's and we our 12 yeah. and, and here's our 12 checklist for if it's this type exactly, of meeting. Exactly. Yeah. And then if then like, if you have this type of meeting, if it's with this, uh, a C-level executive, then you're doing these checklists. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess my main question is, how do you then get people on, 
how do you get this information out to people? Because I, I talk with a lot of people, myself as well, that we have SOPs, we have structure, we have we think we have structure, but getting it out to the people on the team, how do we do that? How do we get everyone on that same page? Yeah, yeah. So, so this is this is really the crux of it, right? Because if you can create all the most amazing stuff in the world, but if the people on your team aren't using it, then well- It might as well not exist. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is where done is the new perfect and start simple and complexified later. So I think this is where the strongest power in the top-down approach really comes in, but you still have to get people to kind of follow the bottom up. So- um, Again, I'm going to tackle this kind of two different approaches. One is more the mindset uh, engagement piece, and one is more the kind of like practical, like this is what you literally can do, uh, tips and tricks. So from a mindset piece, uh, including other people in the process of creating them is really, really important. And uh, I, I would say basically three things. One, lead by example. Uh, so if you're asking other people to follow processes, but you are, you know, and I can be this leader too, the, <laughs> the person who's like, well, you do it this way, but I'm just going to like breeze in and get really excited about something and like basically do a and whole just bunch throw of everything against the wall. Yeah, everything you've have, been working on is gone. Totally. And the team can just like kind of, oh, they can work around me. They can figure it out. I'm helping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I help a lot. And then I get in trouble from the team. Uh, so lead by example in the sense that uh, that doesn't mean that you should be doing all of the processes for someone else to follow or that your team should be doing all of the processes and you're outside of that process, <laughs> but uh, also just make sure that whatever you're getting the team to do, you're participating in it yourself. So maybe you start by writing out a process right? And following it, making sure that if you're going in to do something, you're checking and asking where that process is first, just making sure again, this is a mindset thing. I'm not going to tell you specifically what to do, but just lead by example. Know that that is the best way to get your team on board with things is to check in with yourself, be self-aware and say, how am I showing this instead of just telling it? Right. And that's easier said than done because it does require a lot of like self-work and self-awareness and checking yourself and all that kind of stuff. And it's, the other part, I, yeah. oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say uh, the next part of the kind of engagement mindset piece is really getting them involved in the sense that uh, maybe it's like a game or something where, okay, this week is process week. We're all going to do one, not a million, not 10. We're not going to do like a, I've seen people, I've actually, uh, you know, coached and worked with people who are like, okay, I'm going to create a new process every week and we're going to start implementing it. And that way, you know, in a year we'll have 52 processes and stuff lined up. I don't recommend that uh, just because better to focus on a key process, like one key process. Like don't, don't pick something random, pick something that you guys either mess up all the time. Uh, hopefully you don't have something in your business that you mess up literally all the time, but you know, that, that process that like people keep, like everybody kind of does it differently or isn't really getting done or et cetera. Like we really follow this in the sense of we go where the need is. We don't just sit down. Well, right now we're prepping for my second in command um, to go on mat leave and also to bring in a new strategist at the same time. Uh, even when I say you like, that you loud, like to I'm live like, dangerously. I'm like, why did I say that out loud six weeks ago? <laughs> even saying it out loud, that sounds kind of crazy. But now we're in it. So, <laughs> um, so I have actually been kind of going through and systematically looking through some of our stuff. But 
we haven't looked through some of this stuff in years, not because we don't use processes, but because we work on the thing that is the most needed at that mm -hmm. time. We don't work on the process that seems easy, but it's going to go sit in a drawer. Your key things. Ooh, I'm getting so excited. I'm like starting to like spit at my camera or at the uh, mic. Uh, so that's, again, I don't want to keep, well, I do want to keep going back to this like top-down service level framework, but that's why I make that suggestion to potentially start there is because every project you do is going to follow somewhat of a pattern. And if you're doing it on the stuff that you do all the time, even if it's just a simple little process, then that is going to make things so much easier because you're going to be using it all the time. So really what I'm all this is boiling down to is work on ones you will use, actually use them and don't just expect the team to do them. <laughs> but I also have some specific tips and tricks if you'd like me to get into that. I would, I would. I wanna mention one thing that I had a, a mentor recommend to me recently and this was all about getting it out of my head, right? Just getting stuff. It doesn't have to be a full SOP, but just something so that there is documentation, that tribal knowledge. He said, don't respond to any email in the email create a document in Notion, and then link to that. And so, yeah, so, and not like things like, hey, what are you doing this weekend kind of thing, yeah, but, yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, hey, how do, how do we do this? So instead of, how do we refund a person's charge? Yeah. So I wouldn't respond to an email because now someone has to take that email and either lose it or put it in or it's gone. It's in the, it's in the ether. But if I create it in the correct place in an SOP doc, and just, it's just a, here's how we deal with cancellations and then link that instead. Now we have a record of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's taking it one step further. Cause we definitely might respond to the email and then be like, Hey, copy paste that out. And you know, like mm -hmm. let's spruce that up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I, what your point, what I'm really hearing what you're pointing to in this is uh, the concept of asking questions and that questions are spot like, like what I, what I want to kind of reflect back at you is that questions are spotlights onto processes or SOPs that mm, you need, yes. right? Whether they're internal or external, if someone is coming back to you, but especially internal, someone on your team is coming back to you and being like, how do I do this? Or what's the next step or something like that? That is almost always a sign that you need some sort of documentation, right? So yeah. whether you go and you create that right away and link to it, which I love as a process, I think that's great. Um, or whether, you know, you do respond to them and then pause and be like, okay, can I take this and can I turn it into evergreen content basically? Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we even do this, we do this internal with SOPs, but frankly, we also do this with clients and stuff where if somebody asks us a question a bunch of times, we'll put it into a blog post. Right. Like we won't just respond. We're like, well, we could respond to them or we could just write an article about it or something and uh, really help a lot of people uh, mm. gain that value. I had a I had a business coach who did that anytime one of his clients asked him a question, he would write an entire blog post about it. And it was interesting because I started working with him many a uh, few years into his career. And for any question I had, he'd send an email afterwards, like, here's some blog posts about the questions that you had. And it increased the value proposition of working with him because it was not a, oh, this guy's just kind of throwing it out there. It's like, he thought about this enough to put together content and there's a download and there's like, there's an entire <laughs> content bundle about this question that I had. So he's obviously yeah. the pro. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that I think speaks to, uh, I, I think I've been fairly clear about the fact that processes don't just help you. They actually help 
you help your clients, they help your marketing, yep. they help your sales, et cetera. And this is partially why. When people come to me and they're like, oh, well, what about this situation or what about this? And I'm like, oh, well, actually, we hear about that so often that uh, we've written something about it. Uh, or even I have a process for that, right? Like that, I, we say that all the time. I'm like, oh, when this happens, this is what our process is, right? For mm -hmm. instance, writing uh, uh, as part of our revisions, uh, one of the biggest challenges we used to always have, right? So this is a good spotlight spotlight onto a, a SOP or a process that needed to happen um, is we were finding that we were getting stuck in revisions. Uh, we were going back and forth in emails and, you know, we were trying to explain and like write all these revisions and stuff. And so we shifted the process to revolve around what we call a live feedback session process. So now, uh, and this is again, this is a top down form. This is not, we do not have an SOP with a checklist of how to do this. Um, or if we did, that's not where we started, right? We just started with the concept, but we're like, what's the problem here? Back and forth. We realize that when we're on a call with someone and we can give context and walk them through it, et cetera, revisions reduce significantly. So what we started doing is sending out the drafts uh, and then basically sending them a video that says, here's how to give good copy. They give us back the feedback, we clean it up and then we hop on a call with them and we say, look, we're gonna go through, we're, not, we're gonna give you the big issues, we're gonna talk about them on the call. Now, this change, very, very simple. Very, very simple. Like we basically implemented this from one week to the next. It took our revision process down from an average of two to three weeks to 45 minutes, literally 45 minutes, 95% of the time wow. it's approved at the end of the call. And the other, like, let's say 4.5% of the time it's approved, uh, or, you know, it's fine. It's the rest of the edits are made within 24 to 48 right. hours and approved. Um, and so this is, this is how powerful this is, right? Like that's just, <laughs> that's it's, a simple change. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because uh, we've had similar experiences, not to that degree. That's, that's amazing. Um, but we had one where, you know, we were, we always felt awkward about telling the client, this is the way we do things. We're very awkward about like saying, Hey, you have to follow our process because yeah. I'm a people play pleaser, unfortunately. And it's just like, I want to work within their confines. And what happened every time I did that was that the client stopped valuing our work and the quality of our work went down. But yeah. for the clients that we had a very specific process and we said, this is the process you will follow if you want to yeah. work with us. Yeah. Those clients valued our help so much more. So much more. Yeah. And it was so much and less work that brings for us. us full circle. Yeah, totally. And that, and that brings us full circle, right, to why processes are value, not, valuable, not just because they make your life easier, but the client respects you more. I remember now, that's why I brought up the revision thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just because that's an amazing success story, although it is. You know, we've been doing this now, I think, three years we've been doing that uh, live feedback session process. Um, uh, but because now when people ask why or they're like, what about revisions or, you know, this can be a challenge or something, we're like, well actually we have a process for that and we use this process because it works you know and and that certainty that comes from no no we do it this way because we've had this problem and we thought about it 
people really respect you. And there's this tendency, I, I think this goes as part of the kind of mindset thing and more in applying processes. Cause I think like you, uh, <laughs> like me, uh, so many of us, it's like, we, we want to serve in the sense that we want to make our client happy. We want to deliver them value. We want to do what we can. We want to put our resources at their disposal. And clients say that they want that and that they want to be the boss. And often if you let them, they'll take control of the project, but that's not actually what they want. That's not actually what they want. They, they, they then quite often what I see is that these are people who lead their companies quite often or are a leader within their company. So they're used to being in charge and making the decisions and they almost feel like they have to in order to get a result or in order to like fulfill their end. But if you come and you say, hey, we have this step-by-step, -step, I find that number one, it's easier to stand your ground because you're not saying this is, uh, this is what I think you need. Although sometimes as a consultant and a strategist, you do need <laughs> to say that, right? But you can say the process works, trust the process, um, which I find if you're struggling with, you know, like imposter syndrome or that confidence can really help you because you're like, right, we have this structure. If it doesn't work out, we can change the structure. I don't have to necessarily change me. We don't have to change the entire project. We just need to change the structure where that works because I think that constraints breed not just creativity, not just innovation, but greater value. And mm -hmm. basically creating these processes is a way of creating purposeful constraints that get you towards the value and results that you want. Uh, but yeah, I, I, people will thank you. Uh, people will ultimately thank you. People have thanked us and we've had much better success just by saying, this is how we do things. We're going to follow it this way. If you have a compelling reason why you think we should move out of it, let us know, but we're not just going to do that. Just right. yeah. We had, um, there was a client we were working with who I highly, highly, highly respect. And we started off with a very strict process. These are the things we're doing. This is the way we flow. And again, get, going back to wanting to, to please the client and go above and beyond, they started asking, mm -hmm. well, we're also thinking about doing this. Can you help out? It's like, oh yeah, sure. We're thinking about doing this. Can you help? Sure. But we don't have processes for those. Mm -hmm. And so those started overtaking the main thing that they had hired us for. And we started focusing on these because these were more urgent and things like that. And this fell by the wayside. And we finally stopped working with the client and we were doing feedback. And I said, you know, this didn't really end how I wanted it to end. And I'd love to hear your feedback. And he said, I wanted you to say no. He said, he told you. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. And this is, yeah. this is why I respect him so much. But he said, I hired you because you were the expert. You obviously mm -hmm. are, you know your stuff. But I, you, we, the project went in this direction where there was no more leadership and there was no more structure and focus and so you were at that point and this this is me paraphrasing you're no different than a 20 dollar an hour coder right mm, yeah, because you're just doing right i'm just yeah. the hands i'm he's moving my mouse hand and that's what it became i no longer was had the structure trusted and the, i was no longer the trusted expert and it really hit home to me that i'm not going to move out of those processes again i'm not going to Either we, if we decide we're going to do something new, then we have to have a process for it. And we have to think about how do we flow through this so we are not just an extension of someone's uh, mouse hand. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that's so important. I think this is something that comes up often when I have these kinds of conversations, whether it's with leaders or on some sort of interview, you know, some sort of conversation like this, um, where it's easy to fall into being the hands, especially because as the expert, you you are so used to your own expertise <laughs> that sometimes you forget that that's really where the value is, right? Like when we're screening, like right now, one of the questions we ask it, I think more than once is tell us about a time you said no, when we're bringing someone on that's going to be doing a project, uh, tell us what that looked like. Because we don't, don't just want to know that you can say no. We want to understand because part of expertise is understanding where to push, where not to push, where to push back, where not to push back, and where to just be like, uh-uh, like if we can do this, but it is against my better judgment and it's not going to, I don't think it's going to get you to your goals. And I think that this go ties into a, a bigger conversation of successful agencies are the ones who say no. Not yeah. just within the process, but to clients as well. Like yeah, if agreed. a client is not a good fit, you do not work with them. If the process, if the task that the client wants you to do, if you don't have a process for that, if that's not a good fit, you don't do it. And yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm like nodding setting so boundaries. confidently. Setting boundaries. So it's all about setting boundaries. <laughs> setting boundaries. Yeah, setting boundaries. Uh, saying no is huge. And I find that having the process allows us to say no with more confidence. Right. Because I start to think about what would it be like to create a process around this new thing? And if I immediately, I'm like, oh gosh, man, that's going to take us in a totally different direction. Like, oh, I don't know. Then it's a lot easier to be like, no, other than just asking, do you have a problem we can solve? Right? Because it used to be yeah. if a client had a problem we could solve, then the answer is yes. But it's not just about that. It's not just right. about that. Right. I found a similar thing when I was doing the, back when we were doing the agency, one of the things that one of the problems that we had originally is that we could do anything, right? And we're yeah. marketing and <laughs> development and copywriting. It's like, literally, we can do anything. So we talked to clients and they're like, well, what can you do for me? And we're like, what you got? Yeah, and that doesn't, sell very, <laughs> that doesn't sell very well, right? Yeah. And when we decide to focus in on a process of, okay, we focus on improving the conversion rate of evergreen uh, funnels, evergreen marketing funnels. We had more clients than we could ask for because everyone knew exactly what we wanted we, or what we provided. We had the constraints and we had a process that led through it. And mm. when we tried to branch away from that, that's when we had problems. Yep. Yep. And then that process, you, you can tweak it as you go, right? You can be like, oh, as you learn more about your craft, because now you have, you have an end goal in mind. Right. That's the thing, right? If, if you can get specific in that way, that constraint gives you something to innovate against. And it, and it makes you not seem like an a-hole when you say no, too. It's like, hey, yeah. can you do this? Like, we don't have a process for that. Yeah, not, sorry, it's not, not fit Yeah, it, we, we just, we don't have any, th any tooling for that. It's not, no, no, we don't do that, or we're not going to do it for you. It's, <laughs> <laughs> we just really hate working with you. <laughs> but it, it, it's setting, it's for people like me who don't like conflict as much, it's mm -hmm. a very good way to set that up to to have that barrier that's not your fault that's not a it's not a judgment call yeah. right the reason yeah, you're saying exactly. no is not a judgment call it's a business process 
Yeah, yeah. And I would uh, say that this has helped us a lot uh, internally, like operationally as well, uh, for similar reasons in the sense that, you know, we sometimes struggle with conflict and confrontation as a leadership team, myself and Celine, my second in command. Um, and what we found is that having a set of basically, it's, it's also a process, but in this case, it's a, a flagging system. So we have like, these are yellow flags and red flags. And what that is, and you know, we have it for clients and stuff, but this is actually internally. This is behavior that if you act this way, you'll get a yellow flag or you'll get a red flag. A yellow flag, you know, if you get three, you have if you get three within a month, then that's basically grounds for dismissal. And a red flag, if you get three within three months, that's grounds for dismissal. And uh, basically, we'll talk to you after each time. Now, our team is freaking amazing, and they very, very rarely do anything that could get them a yellow or a red flag, and this makes it a lot more challenging for us when somebody does do something that isn't appropriate for the team, or when we have a new person in uh, that we've just hired that we really like or something. It's been difficult for us in the past. You know, we've, we've basically <laughs> shot ourselves uh, in the back by uh, not... Uh, giving enough time and energy to early stage discipline where it's like, hey, this is an issue or et cetera, where basically it's mm. gotten to the point where a staff member where we were ready to let them go, but we hadn't had any like conversations along the way or the conversations right. along the way. And we're like, well, this isn't fair. It doesn't feel good for us, et cetera. Um, so having that process can operate similarly operationally where it's like, well, now it's not just a judgment call for us. Like, was that appropriate? Was that inappropriate, et cetera? It's like, no, we made a list while we were in a non-emotional state of mind about what is okay or what is not okay and kind of what that severity looks like. Mm -hmm. And while that conversation might look different, uh, like if somebody gets a yellow flag, for example, uh, let's say somebody is like more than five minutes late. Let's say, I, I'm not sure if this is exactly it, but let's say someone's more than five minutes late uh, to a meeting without any warning or something. That's a yellow flag. Now, uh, but that's not really going to do anything or go anywhere unless they're consistently making it an issue. Right. So by creating those constraints when we were not in like a charged or emotional situation, now all of a sudden when we have somebody who acts, or maybe does something that we don't agree with or et cetera, and we sit down as a leadership team and we're like, okay, well, was this okay? Does the context mix it okay, et cetera? We just actually look at our list of flags and we're like, oh, we've actually already written down what this is, why it's important, right. et cetera. And then it's a simple conversation because they all they are they already have access to those flags. Right. You, you know what you know what's expected of you. Um, and that getting people on the same page with expectations is always very tough as well. Um, there was a there's a um, podcaster that I that I know that Anyway, long story short, I'm working with someone who used to work for this this person, and he had a rule. He said, you are in the affiliate acquisitions role. We need 20 affiliates per month. 20 affiliates per month or you're let go. You can do more, and that's awesome, but you have to get 20. And yeah. I, it, hearing that at first, I was like, oh, that's really cruel. Like, that's me. But yeah. at the same time... <laughs> I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. If I can't do that, I know the job's not for me, yeah. right? And it, it it's almost freeing to have that that list of like, hey, these are the things that are expected of me. These are the things I can't do. I can't yeah. show up on calls late. And because it's you, you 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 phrase this so well, it's not a judgment call. You don't have to get together with the board and say, well, 
you know, Sarah was late and like, what do we do? She's great. Other than that, but you have a list and it's like, and you can always change the list. You're like, exactly. man, yeah. every, everyone's <laughs> being late. Maybe five minutes is just way too strict. Let's, let's look at 10. Um, like you can definitely change those, but having the very specific, like, this is the rule is, is almost a freeing, a freeing thing. It is. It is, Keith. And actually, I would go so far as to say that that's one of the biggest, biggest benefits of taking the time and energy to put together processes or SOPs or et cetera, is that you are no longer storing everything inside your head or expecting the people on your team to store everything inside their own head. Uh, and this, these constraints, once again, actually create freedom. Because it's like, wow, I don't need to keep track of the million different things I could potentially mess up or do wrong or et cetera. Or I don't need to keep track of the expectations that are going into every project, uh, the expectations, you know, uh, uh, for my role, the outcomes for my mm -hmm. role, because they're all there. You can reference them, right? You can go in and check. So th this may be something that I'm having blinders on, and you may have, have already discussed, but you know, we had mentioned earlier about how do we get people on the same page of these things. So when someone comes into the company or someone comes into a new role within the company, how do you get them to understand this? Do you have like, hey, read these seven documents? Like what, it, what is the flow of getting people to read the documents that they need to read to understand? Like how, how do you, in, in a very specific way, how, how do you get people on board with those things? Yeah. So if we're talking about the context of a new hire, which I can speak to right now, cause I'm in the middle of revising <laughs> all of this. <laughs> um, also, you know, we, we've hired uh, two roles in the last year, so it's still fresh on my mind. Uh, I would say that it starts at the very, very beginning before the person is even hired with the kind of living by example, uh, in the sense that the... This, this kind of ties into the culture and expectations and the mindset around the team and the company in general. Um, so if you are talking about this stuff from day one and making sure that this stuff is kind of reflected in your screening process, that's important. Um, but that brings us to more of a value conversation, like uh, not value, sorry, but values conversation. Um, because I think that if your values are aligned with kind of your higher level processes and you can communicate your values from the beginning, you'll just have a much easier time of all of this. But if we're getting just super specific and super kind of like practical, uh, then we basically have uh, two, like anyone coming in has two documents that they have to read. So there's our team playbook, uh, which was previously the internal policies handbook, but we aligned it right Is i like i like playbook? team playbook a lot better <laughs> right and that matches we're very you know we're very conversational we're very friendly we're very informal um so that fits us as well and that basically has uh the core things that are company-wide so that's the kind of nitty-gritty around you know what to do if you're sick uh, the flagging system we talked about. It does have our values in there. Um, it has a whole bunch of kind of more logistical stuff around when do we get paid, all that kind of stuff. And those are the top-down high-level processes that people need to know coming into the company and everybody has to read that coming in. It's, uh, you know, it's spaced out, to, but it's maybe like a 10-page document or something, but it's not like 10 single-spaced, like it, it's, it's a book. I just want to get too deep into this. Um, and then we have one that is aligned with their role. So their bucket, so to speak. 
So we have a leadership playbook, an admin playbook, uh, account management playbook, and a content strategy playbook. Mm. But they don't all read each other's playbooks, right? So right, for you don't instance, need to know all of them. Yeah, you don't need to know all of them. So the content strategy person, let's say a new content strategist comes in. Well, they would read the team handbook, uh, the team playbook, and then they would read the content strategy playbook. But we're not going to have them come in and just sit down and read everything. Basically, we find when somebody first joins our team, we like to give them stuff to kind of chew on at first. So before their first call with us, they will, uh, you know, have read the team playbook and we'll have a conversation about that and stuff. But the playbook that is specific to their role is something that requires a lot longer to kind of sink into their head and absorb. So, I mean, we organize it so that the kind of the most critical stuff is at the beginning. And then it's more of kind of a reference guide. Now, but we're not, I don't want to forget also about kind of these specific SOPs and specific checklists that they need to move through. So those we do less training on, but we have videos and stuff that they can reference. Mm -hmm. And we put those checklists into our project management system. So they don't need to absorb all of this at once, but the kind of higher level stuff that is contextual is how do you do your job? What to expect from your job? What are our high level processes? Stuff like that is going to be in the playbook. Um, but it's also important that when they're going to do a task, that there is a video and a step-by-step -step guide that they can kind of follow. So again, I'm talking as someone who's mature in this. We've been working on this for many years. So we do have kind of both sides of it and stuff. Between the two, I would say that having your high-level playbook and even just making videos uh, that people can follow can be very valuable. But it does depend on what that person's kind of learning style is. And um, you don't just want to have videos. But videos can be a good starting place because somebody else, let's say you're not someone who likes to write out detailed SOPs and stuff, making a video Having the other person that you're training maybe write out the steps to the video if mm -hmm. that's a position that they're good at or having your admin person writing out, having somebody else involved to kind of look at it and revise it and et cetera is going to make the strongest process because you're forcing somebody else to interpret what it is what? that you're trying yep. to teach. And that by nature, again, that's where we come back to done is the new perfect. You throw some steps down, et cetera. And then it's really about doing. Uh, it's really about doing. And every time somebody comes to you or to their lead with a question, that is a sign that the process needs to be updated. And my recommendation is to go in literally right then when the question happens and change it literally right away. <laughs> this five or 10 or even 15 minutes, but probably just five or 10 minutes you take will be the difference between you updating it and it just never happens. <laughs> right now and, again someone needs to be doing this for it to be effective though it, and one thing that i found with video that i really like is that i tend to not do video and i tend to write out stuff and i always miss things because ah. even if i'm doing it in another window or like i'm going through the process and i always miss something and so when i'm doing it a video i can't miss it because it's right there <laughs> i see like i'll skip over things in my mind as i'm writing down the steps but if I'm in a video, it's impossible to skip over those steps. 
Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. That's why I like having the steps uh, in your project management system ultimately as well. Cause it's similar. Yeah. Like once you've identified the steps, you can, you can copy that template in, create it, exactly. create an attach, yeah. the template and then comes they're in, have yep. to check it off. Uh, they have to check it off in order for it to be done. And that's where the power of the checklist come in. Uh, and I just don't want to forget one really, really critical part because we just went through this uh, with someone on our team is don't assume because they've read it, they understand it and are applying mm. So we do create constraints. And I know that you and I, Keith, have talked about this quite a bit already around kind of like outcomes and KPIs and uh, those things that are going to help you understand that the person is doing their job. But it's also really important to come back in the process and have them go through the playbook again or do kind of a checklist. Like we're doing this. Uh, our account manager has been with us. I think uh, she's going into her fifth month now. Uh, and, uh, it was a few weeks ago, she came to me and she was like, Hey, I'm having this challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure where I'm going wrong. What does it look like? Uh, do you have any ideas? And I was like, Oh, this is very, very obviously one of the things in the sales playbook that's at the beginning. And it made total sense that she had forgotten it because she had so much stuff going on. Right. But what we really identified was that we wish she hadn't, we wish we'd caught it you know, not three or four months in, but maybe right. three or four weeks in, because there's a period of overwhelm when a new a new person is coming in oh, and yeah. learning everything. So uh, we'd like to give them the playbook up front to read because it gives all that context and all that cool stuff. But something that we're starting to roll out now is a certain way into the process of them training, going back through it and either creating a bit of a checklist, you know, what she's been doing is she's been going through and basically uh, there's two ways you can do this. The way I like to do it is a rating, you know, like a high level sections and then like on a scale of one to 10, how confident do you feel with this? Mm -hmm. Um, or if you're doing it with yourself, uh, you know, if you're assigning it to someone to do it themselves, then you can do something similar basically and have them go in and basically list out the sections that they're super confident in the sections that they're not, uh, the sections they need more work in stuff like that. And basically make sure that you're checking back against, uh, those kind of higher level contextual things, uh, soon, uh, long enough into it that they have time to kind of like settle and they understand things better, but soon enough that you're not potentially missing opportunity. Right. But yeah, the, the goals and the KPIs, because I, I remember when I, when I started my old jobs, they give you that whole packet and you're like, and you read it and then you never look at it again. And of course to have you know, we, we redo our onboarding every uh, three months or redo. We revisit our onboarding process every three months to make sure, is it still providing value? Are we still communicating what we want to communicate? And you need to do that with your onboarding docs as well. And not necessarily rewrite them, but when someone comes on, how well, do, just like you're saying, how well do you understand it? Do you, are there places that maybe when you reread it, you're like, oh, totally forgot that that was a thing, right? Like there's always going to yeah. be stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the power of just documenting things. And the power of done is the new perfect is when you notice something's missing, you can write it down or you, like you yeah. often you don't know what you're missing or you don't know what you've forgotten. But if you have it written down, then there's always the possibility of clarifying that or shifting that or coming back to that as long as it's being used. <laughs> Excellent. Want to keep coming back to that. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure it's used is uh, you can have the best SOPs, the best documentation, the best everything. If no one's looking at it, then it's, it's meaningless. Same yeah. with KPI, yeah. same, with, same with everything. 
Yeah. And that's why I say start with the things that you actually do the most often or that there's confusion around that you also do fairly often because it's way better to have five really killer, maybe like three high level service frameworks and like three or four really, really good SOPs can totally change your business. But having a hundred that nobody ever looks at, shrug. You know, man. So I mentioned uh, that we're doing all these integrations in this integration marketing. You've made me really want to go in and just record me doing one. Uh, just live co- live coding, record the whole thing, talking through it as I'm building it, and then having that as the SOP. It's like, what? Because I mean, that's what all the developer tutorials, all the marketing tutorials, all these sites do. They have a video that shows how they go through the process. And it's that's how I learned a bunch of technologies that I'm using. It's like on the train home, I'd watch them on my phone and, and understand how they're built. But I never did that for myself. I never did that for my own business. And it's like, wait a minute, why the heck? <laughs> why the heck am I not doing that? Oh, say this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, is there anything else that you want to to make sure that people are keeping in mind that they are uh, that they're remembering as once they uh, turn off this podcast? Ah, uh, just go easy on yourself. (laughs) Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. I say this to you, Keith, I say this to all the other listeners, all the other leaders out there is, uh, you know, if done as the new perfect didn't quite sink in or fail fast didn't quite sink in, just don't be too hard on yourself. We are living in crazy freaking times (laughs) and life is really intense right now. Running a business is always intense and it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's not right, going to be perfect. T- You're not going to get everything done that you want to get done, but it's going to be okay. I, and you can still excel. I don't know about other people, but I need to hear that. So <laughs> I need I need to hear this often. So I just wanted to <laughs> share that. There's, as so, there's well. just so much pressure. There's there's always so just pressure. so much pressure, and uh, yeah. Say this has been absolutely wonderful. Where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, so you can find me at my company website. So I'll say it, then I'll spell it. So it's www.anancycontent.com. That's A-N-A-N-S-I. That's N as in Nancy, uh, C-O-N-T-E-N-T.com. And Nancy, in case you're wondering, is the spider god who gave the world stories and used his web to show people how to knit together and form communities and a web of connections. Uh, And uh, you can find out about what we do. You can get more information about me personally. Uh, You can reach out to us. You know, it's not just me. My entire team is full of super cool people who love to talk to other like-minded leaders and individuals. And we'd love to hear from you. Excellent. I'll say thank you so much for joining me. 